1: And welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Tom Kerridge.
2: Hello my name is Tony Naylor and I'm hosting the BBC Good Food podcast with Tom Kerridge and in this episode we're going to explore how migration has enriched British food and how the restaurant world has provided generations of newcomers to Britain with opportunity and employment and how that well-worn path of integration might be smoothed and improved in the future. We'll do this in the company of our very special guest, Mersal Syke, co-owner of the British Afghan barbecue brand, Q Point, which operates from the West London pub, the Chiswick Pavilion. Um, so I should say at the top, Tom, Mersal, you know one another from past events, don't you? So you are we, friends. We do. Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: I, honestly, we, I first encountered uh, Q Point food um, last summer and I was absolutely blown away by how brilliant it was. Like, it was just some of the most wonderful food, flavors, tastes, a, a, a heritage, heart, soul, everything. Yeah, like, the things that you can't, the, you can, everyone can talk about ingredients and you can cook with ingredients and you can make something nice. But when you actually eat something that's got heart and soul it's, and love, those are ingredients that you only get when people deeply care about what they do. And I, I was honestly blown away by it, it some of the most beautiful, wonderful food I've eaten.
2: So safe to say, Tom <laughs> is a fan though. <laughs> yeah,
0: 100%, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so, he was yeah. amazing like, meeting Tom Having the conversations we had, his experience, his knowledge, and just getting that amount of encouragement, support, and motivation. Cause sometimes imposter syndrome, it's I mean, it's real. And then you get someone like Tom coming up and going, There brisket's amazing. This is incredible. He'd come and see us each break in the festival. So it was yeah.
2: So tell us about Coupon for people who aren't familiar with it then. Specifically, the international nature of the menu and if you could explain a little about, you know, yourself and Josh Moroni is your partner in the business and in life, you know, kind of what you're trying to do with the food then?
0: It's a British Afghan barbecue company, but it's also it's inclusive catering company. And in that sense, it's not just that we have these... Josh being uh, English, Guyanese, myself being Afghan. Yes, we have these influences of these ethnic cultural identities, but we also go a step further and make sure that these individuals with their diverse dietary requirements are able to eat at our restaurant. Because to take from a culture like Afghanistan, to take like from multiple cultures that actually have these requirements for these people to be in these spaces. So we're halal. Um, it's very important to also allow vegan because we really want the communities to integrate. So for us, it's the chefs taking a multi-pronged approach to intersectionality rather than just like, oh, this is such lovely Afghan food or Persian food. It's like, yeah, but let's go a step further so that these Afghan people can stay and be in this space as well. Um, And I think going through the hospitality sector, Josh and I really found that we want to play with these cultural things. We want to do things like the Berean um, narco kit. We're not Mexican. He is Guyanese. So we want to make sure that we mention this is a dish from Mexico. This is this dish. We've adjusted it. Pay that respect. Pay that homage and appreciate the cultures that we learn from rather than appropriate them. And I think that's what we really want to take out with Q Point, and hope that that the the industry kind of goes on that vibe.
2: (laughs) So uh, just to go into some of the dishes in a little more detail though. So, I mean, for instance, uh, on menus I've seen recently, you mentioned the birria tacos. Uh, There was a tar smashed potatoes on there. There was a vegan Afghan Afghan dish. Um, uh, where did that come from? I mean, obviously, some of it's cultural, some of it's just your enthusiasm about barbecue, but why, why was the desire to make it kind of so wide-ranging and, I suppose, not go down the, the, the more traditional kind of dude food, inverted <laughs> commas, route that you could have done, you know?
0: Well, we were literally, well, we, we started out and smoked barbecue about six, seven years ago. You had the likes of smoke, uh, these, these giant, um, different smoke barbecue restaurants. And it's, to be authentic is the most important thing with food. Because once you're authentic with your identity, it's easy to take and learn and know what you've grown up with your whole life. Something that we actually bring to one of the festivals with Tom is something I've grown up with since I was a child, from Afghanistan, India to the UK, the Bon Johnny, uh, the yeah. uh, aubergine dish. So if you actually look at our menu, it's me and Josh, his very English identity, the jalapeno jam. We used to do beef dripping toast. Um, like He's very English because he loves English, the, the halal roasts. They're, Very English, Yorkshire puddings, beautiful uh, comfort food mixed with what we felt was missing was the aromatic flavors that Afghanistan and the Middle East really provide to these beautiful, comforting dishes. And now that we're such a melting pot in the UK, it's why Indian food and certain cultures really prevail in the industry, because they have that balance. And we just kind of wanted to bring that balance. He be very English, me very Anglican and go, boom, the narco a naan taco. <laughs> you know, like, so just, you can...
2: just just explain what that is then for people who've not eaten it.
0: The naan taco is one, a fight between Josh and I finding the perfect bread for our meat over from Wales, all over the festivals that we went to. So we'd get tortilla wraps, we'd get everything and we'd constantly argue I'd be like, it's not soaking up the meat. And he'd kind of have the same, but he'd be like, but um, so we were like, OK, well, we need some sort of naan thing. But as we grew and as we became more inclusive with our catering, as we converted to halal four years ago, we realized as well that the taco and the naan are two of the most appropriated foods within hospitality. They have been appropriated, appropriated over with little to no homage paid to either of those cultures. So we were like, well, I'm Afghan. you got a bit of Guyanese in you. Why don't we call it a narco, a naan taco, take this item, turn it on its head, deconstruct it and turn it into something that we understand that our ethnic identities can be like, we, we don't want to be... In this box or that box, we don't want people to call things naan bread because it's naan. The name is fine. It doesn't need to be anglo-sized in order for someone to understand it. And these little things. So it's our little almost politicized food also.
2: (laughs) So, Tom, are you aware of the Berea taco? No, I haven't seen this one. So, Mersal. Oh, sorry.
0: (laughs) Narco, Narco.
2: Narco, in Mersal's case. But, uh, yeah, Mersal should maybe explain what Berea is then, because this is a food which suddenly I see everywhere, suddenly. Yeah, Yeah.
0: so there was a huge trend, um, and actually uh, we are massively in the halal community, and there was this huge trend in the halal community of people trying to find Berea tacos. Um, And... Josh, uh, obviously we do brisket, we do lamb, we do all these different things. He really wanted to move into more beefy barbacoas, saucy, aromatic, speak to my mum a little bit, be like, what do you throw into your meat? Like, what's going on? Um, And yeah, as much as jumping on the hype, we also wanted to make sure that we paid homage to the fact that it's a Mexican dish. From It's a a very specific dish, and there are so many different ways to do it. In our website, we explain that, but then we kind of... We do what we do with things. We put a hell load of English cheddar. We find the best, like, because English, you're in England, so you've got to use the ingredients that this country gives you, and it's more going, cool, this is a Mexican dish. Thank you for this cultural. We've given you that respect and homage. Now we'd like to play with it a little bit, if that's all right with you guys. So now we're going to add a bit of English cheddar. We're going to add a bit of Afghan, this, (laughs) like, uh, cumin, zatar, this, and make it into something that is entirely different with respect. I think it's one of the most aromatic, delicious. I was just speaking to to somebody that had ordered it actually from the studio. And DIY fun activities to do because it's exciting to make it with all the cheese and the meat juices.
2: And famous for the way it stains, in your case, the narco, not the (laughs) taco. The narco, exactly. So uh, you've mentioned a couple of times that you're halal. And you've gone out of your way to uh, have a lot of vegan options on there. And I presume also, you know, plenty of good uh, non-alcoholic drinks. So, you know, you, you use this hash- hashtag uh, barbecue for the many, not the few. <laughs> so can you just explain kind of, well, I, I suppose the halal, halal element of this is interesting for people who aren't familiar with halal food. Uh, obviously, no pork on the menu. That's quite radical for a barbecue restaurant. So what what were you trying to do there? And and uh, was, has that been the case from the start? Did what you do you mean? Pork? No sausages? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no sausages.
1: Burnt on the outside and raw in the middle. Oh. That's a British barbecue, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it breaks the chef's heart because one of his
0: favourite things to make was pork belly. Right. He is a master, Joshua Moroni, at pork belly, at brisket. He's been smoking for over oh, a decade now. And we did start, in the first two years, we did halal meat and pork we had two separate grades. We had Muslims coming in, uh, asking about this certification, which great using, this, this. We had pectin replacing gelatin but it was some reason still had pork on the menu so people were just getting really confused the chefs already had a big task by converting everything into an inclusive menu how do we not put the vegan in with this fry or I need 10 bloody fryers now because of you Marcel like all of these <laughs> we have a lot of equipment yeah. <laughs> a lot of equipment. Um, and then it just got to that point of where we were like you know what there are enough we were the one of the first halal barbecue restaurants in London there are enough people doing pork there are enough spaces that offering this and it's a passion that you can now and he'll just cook pork on any day off he has <laughs>
2: that be- I mean correct me you know your experience was that the barbecue and street food scene in London was to be put it in simple terms, very white in its outlook and very British in its Incredibly outlook and, you know, so. was not really thinking about the multicultural nature of the clientele it was but serving. But even the perhaps. term
0: barbecue, which comes from the term barbacoa, which comes from the Native Americans that were the Arwakians that then actually moved to Guyana. So, like, where Josh's entire story, so it is quite bizarre that American barbecue is even called that, American barbecue. And then that's synonymous of white man, this certain, and, and in my experience it's been quite difficult being a brown woman in barbecue even for Josh being a brown man in barbecue dominated by this space we almost fell into that narrative and then we're like nope No, no, no. Who are we? I'm this. I'm Afghan. You're English, Guyanese, but you're very English. Like, so how do we now just be our most authentic selves? We lost a lot of followers when we went halal. We lost about 3,000, 4,000 followers. We had a lot of people going, I'm never eating here again. I cannot believe what you've done. I'm done with Point." We had so many and people that we really cared about, you know, like these English customers that we'd had over years and years. And they were like, well, I'm done now. Josh's own family is English, and they actually converted to halal, but it was something they didn't love very much. So it was another thing that really fueled us to be like, you do realize halal, the English translation is permissible. There may be that connotation of, oh, it's barbaric, it's this, but that's due to Islamophobia. There's I mean, five factors that make halal.
2: Just, you know, and I don't want to speak on your behalf, but just to be clear about, you know, what your attitude is, it's not as if you're expecting that everyone should go halal, no. but actually there should just be greater choice. I mean, you made this great point when we've spoken about this previously, that there is this large, as you put it, MIPster, Muslim hipster yeah. clientele, <laughs> who are being ignored by a lot of these places. And, you know, be. it's it's just weird that people won't think outside of their own uh, context about you know the, the, the customer base that they can find, I suppose.
0: That's it. And then we wonder why the hospitality industry suffers so much. It's like it's a large employer and yet at the same time we do really struggle with restaurants turning over and over and over, opening and closing, opening and closing, because we don't look at the fact that the population is diversifying and yet our industry is not. We have segregated spaces, Muslim spaces, halal spaces, English spaces. We may profit of this exotica and this cosmopolitan, but the actual behind the work and who gets to sit in these spaces. They may be accessible, but they're not inclusive They may change in accessibility from Michelin to Bib Gourmand, but they don't actually change in the inclusivity with the accessibility. So you're like, we're all losing money here. We would all make a lot of money if you just put one, don't don't even need to change halal, you don't need to do this, maybe add a vegan, maybe add one halal special. Just see. Just see if that community, the Mipster community, has grown up not eating pork and eating halal, but smoke may have sex before marriage? May you know there's a. It's, Islam should be as fluid as Christianity and Judaism is for people.
2: And this is borne out by the clientele that you know attract.
0: This is my. I mean, we come to our restaurant on a Sunday and it is beautiful. It is fifty percent English locals and all these people with the football uh, clientele, the rugby clientele, and then these Muslims and a hijabi lady with a fag in her hand, and everyone's like, "Oh my God!" And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, we smoke. Yeah, we drink. We do other things." But yes, there is this concept of religion. It doesn't mean that now you are in a box. I would describe myself as Muslim, but my Lord, not many other people would, but why not? (laughs) Uh, Fluid. So
2: if if that's the way that you've approached, uh, you know, uh, creating a new style of business from a customer-facing point of view, uh, your next project is going to be more focused on... um, I suppose, the industry side of it, and specifically Coupon uh, Kitchen, which is kind of rolling, but you're launching it properly this month. This is a project, a kind of piece of uh, – a further piece of social impact work, I suppose, to help uh, refugees and immigrants, you know, newcomers and people who've been here for many years, but people who want to access roles in hospitality and need some assistance in doing that in various ways. So, I mean – you are Afghani by origin, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about your story and kind of why, why getting into this work is so important to you.
0: Absolutely. Um, being uh, Afghan, Afghan, Afghani is the money. We always have this. <laughs> that, I do know that. That
2: is an error, sorry. It's a
0: huge meme. That's the only reason I brought it up. It's like a big Afghan meme. Um, but being a first-gen Afghan refugee during the first Taliban invasion like we 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 went to India because we thought these guys aren't going to stay these terrorists they'll be out in a few no oh no they have the country um so from that first Taliban invasion we moved to India a lot of my early memories hence why veganism is so important and understanding that dietary requirement with Hinduism is so crucial um lack of beef and such things growing up there being displaced and then coming to the UK they threw parties for refugees like myself we had a party at the home office with a buffet and gift bags saying, welcome to England. And you're like, thank you. It was was a completely different experience. But that experience, I believe, has fueled my self-confidence, my growth and my value and my attachment to the UK and to being British ethnically. I'm both British and Afghan. I'm not one or the other. And that experience, I think, is one that so many people in the sector, they lack, even though the sector is completely dominated by ethnic minorities at the lower rungs. So why is it that... We profit off this culture, we have this cosmopolitan nature, and we even actually profit off the work. And yet the generational wealth of these individuals is so much lower that they can't get a mortgage with a zero-hour contract. So
2: and it's... you've worked in uh, the refugee sector from an NGO perspective, trying to help people establish themselves in this country, so you know the challenges they face. Yeah. Um, so can you just explain what Point Kitchen will do in terms of how it's going to assist in that process of helping people establish themselves?
0: Absolutely. Well, it's, it's both a B2B and a B2C, like a business to business and business to to, to customer kind of concept. And it's as well as being an educational uh, platform to educate, like we work with a lot of food media. We work with a lot of industry professionals. We teach a racial equity course at a corporate level with the Narcos, make and bite a... Narco, before we start the course and be like, lol, you've had a halal piece of meat. Now you can't say anything. Digestible D and I <laughs> like, literally to the word. Um, so that's been going on and that's been doing really well. But now we find that on a beta C, like we want to actually help individuals more so. And there's five pillars that we really find that the industry is lacking and why there's such small things as to these people can't grow ling- English language acquisition, basic lack of a level two catering qualification, trauma therapy, which was so important to me to find my confidence myself and to understand that I'm not an imposter. I belong in this space. I'll make another table if I can't fit at this one. Um, and the, these, these sorts of really financial management being a thing, being able to have the confidence to talk about contracts and say, actually, I deserve this and having a community because people like Tom Kerridge, people like this, this network is so important and so many people don't have access to it. I'm grateful that I know Tom. I'm grateful that he's an ally. I'm grateful that he's always, like, here to support. But there are so many people that don't have that. And now just by us knowing him, we can open up that space and say, oh, if you're part of the CPK, did you know that Tom Carriages? Did you know that this person? Did you know this? And they may not even connect, but they're just part of something now. They may send you a DM and say, I've just set, been sent this. What do you think? And our first thing that we're doing is we're starting with the um, English language acquisition because it's the most fundamental, the most basic, most important. Uh,
2: Tom, we are in the middle, ongoing. I presume you still agree of a recruitment crisis in hospitality. Yeah, it's uh, going to you
1: know, get worse. It's
2: yeah, getting, yeah. Um, I mean, makes the point. Uh, you know, in previous conversations I've had with her, that obviously there seems to be an obvious, uh, an obvious thing where people can help one another there. The restaurant industry needs uh, workers and, you know, there are people coming to this country who need work. And those people have always been the backbone of the hospitality industry to a degree, haven't they?
1: Yeah, hospitality industry for me, I is the. I mean, I talk about it in such a passionate way. I've t- said it many, many a time before. It's the most eclectic, most wonderful, most incredible industry to be in because people are driven by. It, it, it doesn't matter on your sex, your religion, your age, your, your economic background, your sexuality, your nothing, the color of your skin, the, nothing. If you come into the industry, it is one of the most embracing in particularly slightly more behind the scenes, kitchens, it's very much a case of, okay, we are all in this together. We are creating something. We're doing something. And it's the one industry that it doesn't matter your qualifications. For me, I left school with very, very little. You can still achieve, you can achieve stuff with hard work, determination. And it doesn't, you look at it at the top level. Yes. I I mean, it's not very diverse when you start getting into top level where people but but there are opportunities there there are it is an industry that is embracing and it, it, it embracing it is an industry that is encouraging you need to be prepared to to grab those opportunities that are presented in front of you but those opportunities do arise in this industry and it, it is one of the most culturally diverse countries that you can at working in terms of food, food offerings, spaces where you can go, what you can travel, where you can cook, what you can do, but it, there is a, always a huge um, staff. Uh, crisis in terms of the amount of people. Now, that that, that it's always been the same, um, it, but it's it's getting worse. There'll be a, a huge amount of factors that are going to be developing in terms of the pressures that come on business from a staffing point of view. Yes, it would be one of we should be embracing more and more people into this country, but I'd also be very wary of um, big corporate businesses. See seeing this as a recruitment drive as a nice way of showing that they're trying to be helpful where actually what they're trying to do is just get staff. It, it, it's very easy to say yes we we need staff and there, there's there, there's traveling refugees coming through from from, from europe or from wherever from, from all over let's take them in and just give them jobs it, it, it doesn't yeah, work like there, that
2: there have always been multiple issues Marcel's already flagged some of them uh, in that kind of cohesion of this group of people coming into this country and being absorbed into hospitality. I mean, we'll come to that in a second. I was interested, did you travel in your youth as a young chef? I mean, I'm interested in this idea of, you know, whether it's a bit glib to say that food actually is an international community or not. I mean, did you did you travel? Did you find yourself accepted? And, and what is the interchange like even in your kitchens now? You must have stagiaires who are coming to work for you from all over the world. And, you know... Is there a lot that still needs to be ironed out there beyond the simple facts of people travelling, I suppose, from one country to another to work?
1: Yeah, there is. Um, no, so my my um, travel. All I ever wanted to do is I was in from the west country. All I ever wanted to do was work in London. That was it. I just wanted to get into London as soon as possible and, and cook in this incredible city and and uh, um, meet people there. But from that point of view. The amount of people that I met in kitchens that were traveling, that were South African, were Australian, were from New Zealand, were from, um, those were the main kind of Antipodean travelers through, particularly in the nineties that were coming through. Um, and then, um, then it started going, there was, there was a lot of, um, North African chefs working in kitchens. There was a lot of um, French, um, but with African backgrounds working within kitchens. It was very, very, and is very, very embracing um, in terms of travel and the way that people can move around. But it feels very much over the last two three years that that tap has been turned off there is no there's very little in the way of travel there's very little in the way of european european and but and by by that I, I mean french italian spanish that they just don't seem to be no one's moving <laughs> you know it, 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 it just feels that like everything is like slowly drying up it feels like the, this the, this influence of uh, 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 of chefs and people that were working within the hospitality industry is
2: just really slowing down how international are your teams at your venues
1: um London very London is very um, Marlow based is actually mostly British but very short like everywhere is very short so we're just and we're very good we've got a lot of people core people particularly in Marlow that have been with us for a long long time and there just doesn't seem to be I don't know if Mercer's feeling the same the same amount of people that are coming through that are looking for work and looking for jobs that, that you have a core team that's yeah, great yeah. and then after that they're normal it's always very transient people come and go the competition
0: is so high as well at the moment that once you get them in and then you've got your core that now we've even we've got certain events teams we've got certain people that we contract in for a certain amount of money to do a season because we know they're not here because they're like oh I earn a lot more money as an agency chef and so it's very difficult
2: I think things are changing in that there's less siloing of people in certain restaurants of certain styles by ethnicity or cultural heritage. I mean, obviously, historically, you might have said there were lots of Bangladeshis working in, in Indian restaurants, you know, and and tended to stay in, in in that sphere, I suppose. I get the sense that things are changing slightly now. It seems slightly more diverse, but I know, Marcel, you... Question this regularly, in that still there is a lack of, uh, you know, non-white, non-British people promoted to managerial levels, and it can seem, you know, the cynic would say, often, be it, you know, people who've migrated to Britain or is it refugees who've come here and you know are in a more powerless state when they arrive and are more needing to work immediately. That's a potentially quite vulnerable cohort of people, and they needed to be treated with respect within the industry. And that respect has not always been there, has it?
0: Massively, massively. And I think that that lack of respect comes from certain systemic issues. When somebody doesn't speak English very well, you will assume that they're stupid. You don't assume that that person's a geologist, a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever they were in their respective country. They don't speak English now, so I'm going to place you now as a KP. So you have this doctor as a KP, um, uh, probably able to acquire information like this, able to do so much. And these barriers, these systemic barriers, prevents. It's not as if our managers and owners are terrible people. Nobody chose to be systemically anything. The system did it. The very system we're indoctrinated. So it's up to each of us to then go, how do I unlearn this? This person's come to me. They don't speak English. They're really hard for me to place somewhere. But perhaps... I could try, but, you know, like maybe there's a lot more. Maybe there's a different level that I could get because like Tom says, what's beautiful about food and why it does is so encompassing with other cultures. You don't necessarily need that acquisition straight off the back.
2: You made a great point to me uh, previously that the very simple thing of how would a halal chef be promoted swiftly through the ranks working in non-halal restaurants. Now, that isn't a massively difficult thing to accommodate, but it does require some thought, doesn't it? And clearly that thought is not always there.
0: Massively. And these little little things that, like, like you've got a halal chef that can't share taste a bunch of things or can't prepare certain things or whatever it may be... Um, these obstacles prevent so much talent from just sleep seeping through seeping through then morale that's why trauma therapy is so important because after pushing and battling to get to a position and being rejected time over we have um, an individual that has tried to get a position over and over and over their experiences and saying they're amazing they are a black individual and the, the question of it am I not good at th- you're like this is now all a self-confidence issue because now you're not even going to go for that role again so now we've lost you to the system completely? How do we tackle all of these things that are so intricate, but actually are just day to day for so many people in the industry? I'm part of a very small percentage of ethnic minorities that own a business, a very small percentage. It's very hard anyway to be in this sector financially, fiscally, generationally, net worth, all of these things that I can't even imagine how so many people... Try like I can't. I can't imagine why you'd want to try. You get pushed down in so many different ways. We are lucky for the people that we know. We are lucky for our allies. We have worked for those allies, but we also been in spaces where we haven't had allies. I've been in the barbecue world a long time, and Tom is one of the few white male chefs that has listened, understood, and really respected. Like it was, it was an it was a experience to. Have him really just get it and be so – not have so many people get it. <laughs> I, th-
1: I think you have to think slightly outside of the box where you were talking about that the, the sous chef, she or he, whatever. It, 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 wherever he was looking at moving to and, and, and wasn't getting that position from an em- employer's point of view, why are we looking at it as – uh, he can't eat this because it's halal why aren't we looking at going? if he came from the position with that experience but he was celiac we would think okay it's no problem we wouldn't we would just he wouldn't have to taste the pasta he exactly. wouldn't be able to eat the bread or if i have a shellfish allergy I, we have shellfish on the menu i don't i don't eat the shellfish i can't eat the shellfish we've achieved two Michelin stars with me not eating that lobster we can still do it you know you can still do it it's 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 the mindset it's of the just mindset. it's the mindset of going it's a religious thing not a a food intolerance or an allergy or a thing. they're
0: all the same the you just same. You just go, i just can't that's dietary requirements. and just can't dietary requirements this person because it's a religious dietary requirement is no different than the person with the sodium requirement or the celiac requirement or the vegan or this it's your dietary requirement why does that prevent you because of systemic issues that's why because of islamophobia because of these different things once we admit it we can move past it
1: being a chef as well though, there's so much to it that more to it than just Cooking and eating food, it's control, it's understanding
2: the way that kitchens work. That's a
1: skill set in itself.
2: One massive positive of this, and you know, not in recent years, for the last fifty, hundred years, has been the sheer diversity of food in this country. I mean, you know, Tom, do you feel privileged? To, to have that on the doorstep everywhere you go in this country, because certainly my experience of travelling, you know, that isn't always the case. You know, for instance, Italy, I found incredibly monocultural, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, in terms of food. Whereas this morning I walked 100 yards down the road, there's a Japanese restaurant, uh, a Lebanese grocer, and uh, a Turkish restaurant on the, on the next street, and that's one it's street It's
1: amazing. In it's so exciting. It's so wonderful uh, uh, to see how rich um, our food scene is in this country. And so much of it has been much more embraced now because it's gone beyond um, top-end restaurants. You know, great food is not about you know, 3 mission star dining, that is great food, don't get me wrong, that is amazing. But great food now is much, like the base level eating, we always saw as just a cheap sandwich from a, from a really rubbishy shop. Now, you've got amazing sandwich shops, you've got amazing street food, you've got brilliant burgers, you've got fantastic, you know, salads, you've got you know, everything that comes from, we expect as clients, as get through things like BBC Good Food, you, you know, you have an understanding of food much better, Good Everything we demand more as as a as a consumer. We we demand better standards. We want food to be nicer. We just we can't be fobbed off anymore. And and that's and that makes it so eclectic because you can get great. All of a sudden, you know, that's where the food scene has been embracing of of a diverse and rich culture because there's so many fantastic food that starts on that ground level of an understanding of spicing and flavors and uh, uh, um, that is always but much more budget-friendly all the way up to top end.
0: Street food has always been a cultural food. Street food, it's been global, it's been around. It's people having little shacks going, here's my wares, here's my, one of the recipes I'm doing later is an Afghan street food that is literally a giant oil fryer going around the streets of Kabul, that's it. And it's one of the most popular. And I'm only here because of my ethnic, my socioeconomic, I started in street food. Street food gave me access to move from that crappy sandwich, to to pick those produce and to somehow play with people on this level. I'm able to share my story with you today and my ethnic background and able to have that merging of that, that, that English understanding of branding and concept and education with my own. It's that perfect merging. And I think that's what that's what part of the reason Q Point grew as it did is we used to come up to our customers and say, What did you like about well not what did you like? We'll give you a free side if you tell us what you didn't like. Because they'd be like, This is lovely, I love the brisket, I love this. What did you not like? No, no, I liked everything. And then these little bits of feedback that they give us, the jalapeno jam used to be a vinaigrette. There was a light, so it was not a jam.
1: Can I just go back a minute? Audrey? You would give them something for them telling you that what the thing that, that they didn't, didn't like. Yeah,
0: because no one would ever give us feedback. <laughs> There's like, a that's a business model. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. when they told us, now we have a jam that we love, <laughs> but that jam was this watery, beautiful. I loved it. But everyone was like, oh, it's you know, a bit too watery, a bit too this. And then we learned, and you know, oh, we don't want to use it because we think of this. We basically learned from our customers direct access, speaking to them, Josh. And I, what do you, what do you not like about our food? What do you not want about our food? And then it gives you the opportunity, the narco, the brisket bun. We didn't want to be the same as our competitors. So we wanted to create what our customers wanted. And now on our Instagram, we go, what do you guys want on the e-commerce? What are you looking for? Like, what do you, we want just meat for Ramadan. We want just this because of this. Can you open the restaurant later because of iftar? You're like, yeah, okay, cool. You directly speak. This community has been cultivated from our own otherness. And they also felt othered. When we speak to them, it's like a community of people that have grown together six seven years created products together feedback spoken have actually gone through the emotional crisis with us and financial crisis that that street food gave us a chance to have that we didn't pretend to be anything we weren't
2: you've proved the power of collective action (laughs) you've proved the power of building your own community and opening yourself up to a far wider one than you might have done on every level haven't you so yeah thank you mersal for your story thank you very much cheers tom pleasure mate thank you Thanks for
1: listening to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Tom Kerridge. For more brilliant cooking advice, don't miss the quick bonus recipe episode. Let's cook together. See you next time.